Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Today is part one of two, where we are talking to A.K. Mulford about her novels. Over the next two weeks, you will hear about telling stories for yourself, spending 10 years researching how to write a book and self-publish it, finding an agent, landing a seven-figure book deal, writing in the time available to you, taking care of your mental health, and focusing your energy on the people that enjoy the things you like and inviting them into your world. The Rogue Crown, a novel, The Five Crowns of Ockrith, Book Three. The action moves west in A.K. Mulford's romantic, action-packed epic fantasy series The Five Crowns of Ockrith, as young fae warrior Bree investigates the murder of her queen while protecting the beautiful princess she may be falling for. Determined to uncover who killed the Western Queen, fae warrior Briotta Catalyst sets out on a mission to defeat the witch hunters and safeguard her princess. But when she arrives at the Western Court... Things are even worse than she feared. The icy reception from the Fae is the least of her problems. They've heard the prophecy that Brie will seize the crown from its sovereign, and the last thing they want is for her to usurp the throne. No, the witch hunters are out for royal blood, and it will take everything Brie has to keep them at bay. It doesn't help that still grieving the loss of her mother, Princess Abilina Thorne, is reluctant to allow Brie into her confidence— only agreeing to let her serve as one of her guards at the behest of the princess's cousin. As the threat of the witch hunters grows, they find themselves thrown together, working closely to uncover the secret plot of their enemies. Along the way, the princess realizes that Brie is one of the few people she can trust. But Brie is determined to forge her own path and prove the prophecy wrong, not letting the beautiful Lena distract her from defeating the witch hunters. She has a duty to the princess, a duty to the Western court, and a duty to her own destiny. But what about the duty to her heart? So the name of the show is Freya's Fairy Tales, and that is fairy tales two ways. Fairy tales are both something that we watched or read or listened to as kids. And then also the journey of spending weeks, months, or years Writing your book to then finally get to hold it in your hand is also a fairy tale for you. So I like to start off with, what was your favorite fairy tale when you were a kid or short story? And did that favorite change as you got older? Um, yes, definitely. Well, I, when I was a kid, I loved all the Disney movies. You know, I think probably when I was really little, The Little Mermaid was my favorite, like, you know, Disney story, princess mm -hmm. story. I loved all the Grimm brothers, fairy tales and things like that, you know, like 
um, Little Red Riding Hood and all of those things my mom would read to me heaps. And then when I was a little bit bigger, it kind of shifted more into like fantasy and longer books like, you know, The Hobbit and Tolkien and uh, things like that. And yeah, and I still have a, a love for kind of high fantasy, epic fantasy to this day. So yeah, it's carried on my whole life for sure. Now, I do have a question before I ask another question. What for you, what do you differ? Because I've seen a lot of, of controversy around this. What's the differentiation between high fantasy and other fantasy? Like for you, what does that mean? I mean, high fantasy tends to be other worlds, right? So you can mm-hmm. have like urban fantasy, which is usually like set in our like world, a city or yeah. like, yeah, like a contemporary world. High fantasy tends to be more uh, like a different world, a different realm, a different system of magic. It doesn't necessarily have to like evoke medieval themes, although most mm-hmm. high fantasy does where it's kind of set in this magical made up version of medieval times Mm -hmm. Um, but you do see high fantasy that is set in other kind of eras of history which Mm -hmm. is really fun Um, but yeah that's kind of high fantasy for me is is other worlds completely made up yeah I just want, I saw something on TikTok this week about like that's not high fantasy because of I don't remember what the reason was. It made uh, me like Google what's the York, difference? You know? yeah, I don't I don't know. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> right, so at yeah. what at what age did you think you wanted to write or know that you were going to eventually write? I mean, I always wrote stories like forever. I think that I didn't know if I'd ever publish any of them, but I always like to tell stories for myself and Mm -hmm. write those down uh, just because it was fun and a nice outlet for me and something I enjoyed. It was probably the first thing that I was really into. And I always said as a kid, I'd either be an author or uh, work with animals. Uh, And so I've gotten to do both (laughs) in my (laughs) career. Uh, So yeah. (laughs) And so when did you, because your first book was The High Mountain Court, right? And so yes. when when did you start that? How long did that one take you to write? The High Mountain Court actually didn't take that long to write because I kind of, I got down this ADHD rabbit hole about 10 years ago of um, <laughs> thinking about self-publishing and reading all the books and mm-hmm. listening to all the podcasts about self-publishing and become, kind of becoming a hobbyist about it. And um, I realized that one of my biggest problems with writing was I never got to the end. Like I had a million manuscripts that were about 30,000 words done, you know, the first Mm -hmm. five chapters. And then I think, oh, I'm going to start this new idea. Um, (laughs) And so I had a chronic problem with not finishing the thing I was working on. So I took a few years just to finish those old projects that I kind of knew I'd never use or never publish, but just because I wanted to get in the habit of writing till the end Mm -hmm. um and so by the time I realized I wanted to put out uh you know a book and start publishing I kind of thought maybe I'll hold off on the kind of stories of my heart the ones that I really like had been thinking about for a decade and Mm -hmm. do something completely fresh and new kind of like wipe the slate clean a little and just start from scratch on something that could be my kind of like dip my toe in the water of publishing book (laughs) <laughs> I say with a laugh now. Uh, and so I, I I think it took me like three or four months to write the High Mountain Court and um, and then had 
many, many, many rounds of editing with different editors and beta readers and things. Um, and yeah, it took probably like eight months from starting to write it to putting it out. Okay. Now you obviously have, and I actually, I, for transparency, we had to redo this interview. I actually <laughs> talked to, which I didn't tell you last week, um, I actually talked to another author who told me about your book deal. So uh, yeah. you, I found you on TikTok, like I'd never <laughs> heard of you before. But um, then I heard, you know, you you do these great, like, I have a secret that I can't tell you mm. <laughs> videos. And so like yep. <laughs> I knew that you had gotten a book deal but I didn't know what kind of a book deal. So why don't you tell us kind of like, so you put out your first book and you self-published yeah. that one, right? Yes. Yeah, and you so talked about it. the first two in the okay. series. Um, and when the High Mountain Court came out, it was doing quite well. And I started having agents contacting me about representation. And I, it was something I was looking into at the time because I always wanted to be a hybrid author, meaning like I both self-publish and traditionally publish. Uh -huh. um, and so I found my awesome agent, Jess, and um, I kind of said, like, what do you want? What kind of a book do you want me to write for you to sell? Um, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I have these ideas. And she said, yeah, that one, go with that one. Um, and so I wrote Now, was this one of in... your paused series or was this a totally new idea? This is, was a totally new, okay. totally new idea <laughs> that just kind of was circulating in the back of my brain that turned into something completely else. And um, uh, it basically started from like a kind of writing prompt I gave myself of an idea of what if Sleeping Beauty had a secret twin sister and it was her job to save her. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, talk about fairy tales, you know. Um, and then uh, that kind of started the whole series that now the first book is called River of Golden Bones, um, which is coming out next year. So I wrote that for my agent and um, to sell, to shop around and thought, uh -huh. you know, traditional publishing takes a really long time we'll see yeah. if anything you know even comes of this like maybe eventually <laughs> yeah six months before I hear from one person uh, <laughs> and so uh had very regulated expectations and I was doing quite well with my self-publishing so I wasn't too concerned uh about you know now explain very well what, what was out. very yeah. well for you um I was making into six figures, uh, you know, sold about like a hundred thousand copies of my books at that point when we were, yeah. <laughs> you sound <laughs> we like that's out. such a small thing. Like, <laughs> no, you know, like <laughs> I think it's the Kiwi in me. Like I, I, I sound American, but I live in New Zealand and we're not very good at like, uh, talking ourselves up, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, we're, we're, we're very bad at like being braggy. So I'm like, oh yeah, you know, it's like, like, you know, it's, six figures and, you know, no so big deal two books no one had heard of me <laughs> yeah six months publishing so um, so your agent's selling this book <laughs> she sold that book yeah um so she put it out on submission and two days later I get a message saying call me and I thought it was a spam number and I blocked it because I just didn't know who it was and um then she emailed me being like hey did you check your messages and I realized it was her so I called her back and she said uh, David Pomerico at Harper Voyager wants to talk to you about this new series. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. You know, so we, um, <laughs> that's a big publisher. 
yeah yeah and and I love you know the poppy war and I love all the their other books and so it was just uh they also now publish Tolkien's books so Mm -hmm. I was like you know the uh Tolkien nerd fantasy nerd in me was just like ooh, you know um and they specialize (laughs) in sci-fi fantasy so it was just Mm -hmm. it, it was like the perfect place um so I hopped on a zoom call and had a chat with him and more and more I just realized how like perfect it would be for this new trilogy that Mm -hmm. I just wrote um and so we kind of worked all the details of that out and at the end of that whole deal they were like would you be interested in selling your current series um too and I kind of I kind of was like well I don't I don't know maybe you know just kind of like <laughs> like it, I, I guess it depends it depends on <laughs> what you offer me you know because yeah. I'm, I'm I'm pretty you know I have a number in my head of how much I think I'm gonna make with this series but uh-huh. I also have a sense in my head of how many hours of work that's gonna take on my part to like make that happen uh-huh. um and so, you know, the idea of working with a whole professional team of people who know how to produce books and can, you know, do so much of the stuff that I couldn't do on my own mm-hmm. um, and was struggling to do in a very short amount of time was just right. like super appealing. And so, yeah, so then we ended up making a deal for that series, that five book series as well. So it ended up being eight books. Uh, total in two deals and a multi seven figure deal. Yeah. <laughs> now, what were you doing? <laughs> so clearly that was a good Zoom call for you that day. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So what have you done since then? Like, what did you do to celebrate that? Um, you had to do something. I- I, you know, yeah, you know, I like for the most part, we're like, well, we'll save the money to like help pay off the mortgage and stuff. The one big splurgy thing I did was I bought my mom a car. <laughs> so she, she lend, lended me, lent me um, $2,000 last year uh, and uh, to help me buy like book covers and editors and things for the first book. And she jokingly said, um, you know, you can pay me back when you make your first million, you know, mm-hmm. just as a joke. Um, and so, <laughs> so uh, I said, you know, I'm not knowing it's going to take less than a year for that to happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It'll be, it's almost coming up on a year now. Um, crazy. And so she, uh, I, I said, I want to pay you back. And she said, oh, good. Cause I want to put it towards this car I want to buy. Like I've, I've been waiting to buy this car for ages and I said how much does that car cost and uh, <laughs> just out of curiosity now does she know her, at this time what does she know about the book deal she she knew that I got these book deals but she didn't know the amount they were yet. okay <laughs> um so I asked her how much the car was and then I sent her the money for the whole car and um and that's when I told her <laughs> well I'm sure I know if it had been my mom one at first my mom would have been like no 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 no, it's too much it's too much mm-hmm. and then you know once you're like well in, in our family there's this whole thing about like for example my mom just graduated from like a college kind of course program thing and so we all go out to dinner and she tries to grab the check and and me and my husband are like, 
this is your graduation. You're not paying for everybody's right. <laughs> so Classic like, mom move. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you know, in my family, that's, you know, pretty standard. The like, no, yeah. no, 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 that's too much. And yeah. then you're like, no, you're going to take like, it. <laughs> there, there was a lot of, you know, the mom, uh, like, like angry whispering your names. The like, she just kept being, Allie. <laughs> You can't send me this much money. I said, if you don't need it, use it for a plane ticket to come visit us because it's super expensive to come fly to New Zealand from the States. So, you know, I said, put it uh, aside for traveling to come see us next time. But, you know, she was the one uh, who always thought like who could would never say no when I wanted a new book. It was like the one thing we found a way to always have you know, the money for was like, we were always going to the library, we were always reading. And mm-hmm. she was the one who really encouraged me to write and said, you know, like, one day, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see your book on the shelves, <laughs> you know, in here when we were in bookstores and stuff, and it was so encouraging. And so it felt like, really emotional, actually, and really, like, mm-hmm. wonderful and humbling to be able to, like, do that for her when she was the one who's been encouraging me my whole life to to make this a career so yeah Yeah, I have to tell you last week last week after (laughs) after the failed recording I was telling my husband about your story and I was like tearing up like talking about it so sweet (laughs) Uh, so yeah yeah. It was, so it's, what it's still uh, set, sinking in, you know, yeah. it's still a bit of a shock. <laughs> Just the fact that like, I love writing. It's my first love really. And mm-hmm. to be able to make a career out of doing it is just the greatest blessing, you know? So how did you, um, where did you find the time to write? How did you then, you know, get your books out there for, because clearly a publisher is not going to want you if no one's buying your book. So how how did yeah. you how did you find the time to write? And then once you had written that book, or even before writing that book, how did you tell people about the book? Yeah. So I um you know I'm a stay at home mom, and I have two little kids. And the High Mountain Court, I wrote at 4 a.m. on my kitchen table before my kids woke up, and I didn't have a desk, you know, or <laughs> any place to go really. So I just, however long until my, you know, then two-year-old would wake up was how long I had to write each day. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sometimes it was till 7 a.m. Sometimes it was till, you know, like 5 (laughs) a.m. Yeah. (laughs) One hour. Um, And, and that was my only working time was before they woke up. And then as time went on, we were able to kind of like shift my husband's work schedule back a little. And so I have more time in the mornings now, and we're still kind of like puzzling our days together. We're um, moving in September to Australia. And one of the reasons we're going is so that we can have more support with our kids and find Mm -hmm. some like really awesome like schools and different people for them because they're Mm -hmm. both neurodivergent and kind of like need a place that really gets them and like you know respects them and encourages them so and other kids um, to be around too and other kids yeah Yeah. and and friends and things and so we didn't we just have none of that here so they're home all the time and we have really no childcare. so we're both trying to work full-time and parent full-time and um, it's been kind of like tag team, you know, two yeah. ships passing in the night. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and so 
I'm looking forward to getting into more of a nine to five routine with writing, but mm-hmm. so far it's just been puzzling in the time, you know, like the, my main marketing uh, is TikTok and mm-hmm. most of my TikToks are lip syncs where you can't hear the background noise because it's like <laughs> cartoons and children shouting yeah. and dogs barking. And it's just a very, very close up of my face because yeah. if I tilted even an inch left or right, it's just like absolute <laughs> chaos, toys everywhere, like, you know, yeah. child stomping crackers into the carpet, you know, <laughs> just the, the chaos that is my actual life. So that was my marketing was making silly TikToks while I was hanging out watching cartoons with my kids, you know, um, and that's how I found the time to promote my books. Now, did you wait until the book released or did you start doing stuff ahead of time? No, I start. I started right away. Uh, well, I mean, like I, I finally got up the courage to post a TikTok like <laughs> in March, I think, of last year, and then I, um, the book came out in August. So I had a few months leading up to it where I was just making funny videos about you know, drinking lots of coffee and forgetting how to write and, you know, thinking of good ideas in the shower and like all of those relatable, you know, like author life moments that I, it was so awesome because I had people to share them with who got it, you know? Yeah. I was like, you know, in my day-to-day life, you can't really just like bump into someone and being like, oh, you know, that really spicy scene in this book, (laughs) you know, like you can't just like talk about, you know, fantasy romance and things like that. So to jump on TikTok and be like, ah, oh, like here they are. Here are my people. Like they get it. Why is know? it so much more awkward to talk about that to people in your real life than it yeah, is to strangers? They, they kind of look at you when, <laughs> yeah. when they say, I, you know, they, we still have family members who barely know that I'm an author. <laughs> and, and, they'll say what do you do and I'll say I'm an author and they go oh kids books you know they just assume it's children's books because I'm a parent and um you're like don't ever read my books please like what is it and I said uh you know adult new adult fantasy um kind of and they're like oh like you know like Game of Thrones and I'm like sort of (laughs) (laughs) kind of yeah I guess sure uh yes but like with like uh, less violence and more sex, you know, and hopefully <laughs> less incest too, man. That series yeah, is yeah. Oof. no, there's no. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember watching yeah, like watching that show. <laughs> I remember watching that show and being so disturbed by like the first first episode of that show, and I'm like, surely mm-hmm. I start, I get the books for Christmas. And I'm like, surely that's not in the books. Like they just embellished for <laughs> TV. No. No, that's in the books. Yeah. <laughs> like, <"Oof." laughs> There's a lot of shock value things in there. People just dying left and right. But my, you know, like my books are more romantic fantasy. And, and that's more for me. My favorite part is the relationships, emotions, you know, mm-hmm. feelings, like how people connect with each other and people discovering it, like about themselves and kind of finding their voice and their power and things like that so I those are the stories I like to tell that are a bit more emotional and feelings based but also have some good epic fighting scenes in right them too. So, it has yeah. to, if it's a fantasy there's got to be epic fighting like that's yeah that's you've got to have some magic and you've got to have a battle <laughs> <laughs> so you when so you've been talking about your book on TikTok your book finally mm-hmm. drops what were you expecting when your book finally I mean you had to have some kind of an idea based on 
you know, comments and stuff on your posts. But what were you kind I, of expecting? Yeah. I was I was hoping a few people would read it and like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had very regulated expectations, probably because I'd done such a deep dive into self-publishing for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew so many self-published authors at that point. And so I had this idea of like, okay, I have my five-year plan, like hopefully by five years, I'll be starting to make some sort of income. I'll have this backlist for people to read. Yeah, I'll have at least three series out. I'll be doing, you know, and so like I had my kind of like plan of how I could get from maybe one or two readers to maybe a hundred readers to maybe a thousand readers. Um, And so but I knew that that would take a lot of time because that's, that's all know, the research for the most part, what happens. And, right. You know, you don't plan to be uh, like take off and be successful, you know, right. you know, that's like, like the dream, for, but it doesn't happen yeah, for everyone. <laughs> like, it would be cool, but that's not what I'm planning for. My contingency plan is like slow and steady growth over time. Um, and so when I put out a TikTok about the pre-order, for the High Mountain Court. At that point, I'd already written a prequel novella that was on my newsletter. So people could go and read like a little snippet of my writing, mm-hmm. like this little story and kind of see if they liked it. So that right. by the time the first book came out, they could kind of have a sense of what my author voice was, if they liked the way I tell stories. Um, and a lot of people really, really liked that. And I had a bunch of people subscribe to my newsletter. Um, and so when the I announced the pre-orders on TikTok I think I had like 12 pre-orders that day and I was just like 12 in one day like I was like (laughs) you know I was about to like cry it was so massive for me and um by the end of that week I think I had a hundred like and it just at that point I think that's when like I started to go this this might be something this might turn into something you know this might be more than I I planned for (laughs) So then by, from yeah. pre-order to how many pre-orders did you get before it actually released? I think I got like 250. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So not like heaps. And then each pre-order after that, I would do like a little more than double, you know, so like 500 pre-orders. And then the Rogue Crown, I had to cancel the pre-orders for because we had the sale to Harper and we switched the release date and stuff. But I think I had like a little over 2000 pre-orders for the Rogue Crown. So what uh, happens to those when you cancel? They, they get their money back. They get refunded and uh, a new pre-order gets set up. And I was okay. so sad. To no, I like, don't I'm think. Because I have to cancel I've... these. Yeah, I've done pre-orders before. I don't think they charge you until the book you actually get the book. Mm. Until the book. Yeah, yeah. So ships. nobody got charged. But basically they just said uh They got an email saying, Hey, this got canceled. <laughs> yeah. They're like, What? And um and I'm like, Yeah, it's not coming out until October now. I'm sorry, it's getting like a new cover and a new edit and all these now, you were very but, you were very cryptic about all that because you didn't talk yeah. about the publishing deal at first. Well, because <laughs> it, it wasn't all signed yet. So I had to cancel the pre-orders before everything was like the ink was dry, which was so mm-hmm. stressful to me because I'm the yeah. sort of person who doesn't count their chickens, you know, right. until they've hatched. And so I was... I, you know, but it was coming up to the, to the release day and I didn't want to string people along. And so... Yeah, I kind of took a leap of faith and canceled those. And I'm like, I promise it's for a good reason. <laughs> I can tell and, you what uh, it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, with with audiobooks too, I say the same thing. Like, I won't put you on my schedule for your audiobook until you've sent me a contract because, like, unless mm-hmm. I make I make exceptions for like authors I've already narrated for, but like, you know, if it's a new author, I'm like, I'm not gonna hog some other author's time away if you're not gonna commit. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So I, I, I get that, but yeah, it would be really stressful stressful. (laughs) but also I I really wanted to say to them but I couldn't like it's you know you're going to be able to walk into a bookstore and just grab it now yeah you know you're going to be able to find this book places now it's going to be so much easier for you to get your hands on it I've had so many amazing like loyal supportive readers who really struggle to find copies of my books even though like in the states you can get them pretty easy print on demand but a lot Mm -hmm. of other countries it's hard to find indie authors books Um, Mm -hmm. and so now it's going to be so much easier for them and so much more accessible for all of them and Mm -hmm. just the idea too that people who don't know me through TikTok or other places can just walk into a bookstore, see a book on the, the shelves and be surprised that they can actually see themselves in the stories. Like they mm-hmm. probably thought that they were signing up for one sort of romantic fantasy and then realizing that there's representation in the books that actually is them and they get to be the hero of the story. So um, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> now I have to ask as an audiobook narrator, how did you go about getting the narrator for, because I know I know your first two have been narrated. Um, yes. How did you go about finding them? Yeah, so I was contacted by Podium Audio um, and a few other audiobook uh, production places. And Podium was one that I really liked and respected. And I knew they did a lot of other sci-fi fantasies. So I figured they'd mm-hmm. have a good sense of like, I feel like fantasy audiobooks are their own thing, kind of. And yeah, the, you know, like if you have uh, you use different in, cadence when you're doing yeah, fantasy definitely. versus romance. And they have to not think it's weird, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that there's like that there's witches and fae and humans <laughs> and magic and glamours and like all of these words and things. And so I really wanted um, to work with someone who who got it, because if mm-hmm. they came from, you know, kind of more uh, contemporary worlds, they might be like, what is going on? Right. But then also I because I really wanted a narrator who could kind of like represent the series as a whole. So it was really important to me like you know Remy is based on a real person that I used to work with in Guatemala um Mm -hmm. and so I really wanted like somebody that had Afro-Latino roots and like you know like could kind of represent her um and so when the podium gave me options of all these amazing people and I found Mel Lee who's my narrator for the series her, I think her grandmother is from the same islands that my friend who's based on Remy is from. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it was just, it was so <laughs> meant to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like It was one of those like beautiful moments. And she does the voices of so many like Mortal Kombat and like all of these like amazing characters and mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, TV shows that my kids watch and stuff. And, and I was like, okay, she gets it. Like, she, you know, she gets the fantasy world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was just kind of like the, the perfect person. So yeah, that was really exciting. Harper has their own like audio thing. Are they letting her Mm -hmm. continue to do the audiobooks? 
Yeah, so she'll she'll be doing that whole series, the mm-hmm. Five Crowns of Ockrith series, um, and then Harper will be uh, supervising the audiobooks for the River of Golden Bones books, so the Golden Court trilogy that I sold to them. So the brand new trilogy they'll be doing the audiobooks for, and Podium will do, be doing the the five co as we call them, the Five Crowns of Ockrith. <laughs> yeah. Now you talked about. What were you doing? So you're from the U.S., but you spent yes. time in Guatemala. Why? Mm-hmm. And now you're in uh, New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've lived in so many countries. I haven't lived in the U.S. since I was 18. I moved to the U.K. and then South Africa and then Guatemala. And now I'm in New Zealand. We're about to move to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but I, I used to work in wildlife rehabilitation and specifically studied primatology. Uh, so, yeah, that I was in Guatemala working as a volunteer manager and working rehabilitating animals uh, at a wildlife sanctuary rehabilitation center there when I met my husband, who's a, a Kiwi, and we came over this <laughs> side of the world. Yeah. And how did you meet him? What was he doing in Guatemala? He came to volunteer uh, at the the wildlife sanctuary. And um, I kind of had like a no sleeping with volunteers rule. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it's a just, good rule. Like, it's a good rule. Like they just come in and out too often, like yeah. you know, hundreds of people every few weeks. And everybody, like people in the volunteerism industry are pretty fast and loose with, you know, <laughs> just like it's a pretty good, uh, a pretty it's good a good way to, to keep up one night casual fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for me, I was just like not interested. So I didn't really give him the time of day. Uh, but we became like best friends. Uh, which was it. And when you live in a place with like, you know, no internet, you know, <laughs> like you get to know people r- pretty quickly, like right. no makeup, everybody's covered in animal poo and, you know, like, <laughs> Sweat. like you, you get the real, the real version of people pretty quickly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So uh, eventually we had this rule, each of the rooms in the volunteer house, which I lived into with the volunteers had two bunk beds. And we had this rule that like couples would get their own room. You couldn't put another volunteer in a like a room that was like one guy and one girl um, because that might be uncomfortable for people, which is, you know, gender is stupid anyway. But <laughs> so they had this rule. And so I put uh, Glenn, my now husband, in my room with me when we had this influx of volunteers because I didn't want to have like new people moving into my room every other week. Right. You know, I was kind of over it by then. I think I've, I've been there for almost a year at that point, and I just you never know if they're going to be a good roommate, and they're only there for a few weeks, and you barely get to know them, and then another person moves into your room. So I moved him into my room as a way to kind of just have one roommate and he was my buddy so it like worked out that way and um and I might have had a thing for him too and by the way, I thought, this, was, this is my move you know <laughs> and, and what yeah, do you I mean you got there. moved into my room <laughs> yeah oh weird he's like don't you control who moves into oh strange no I had no idea my yeah, supervisor must have done that <laughs> yeah funny <laughs> And it wasn't uh, long after that that we finally like started getting together and started dating. And um, bless him, he like lived in the jungle with me for like another like 
gosh six months before I finished at like my contract there and then by then I was ready to like move to a place with like internet and you know <laughs> and being able to civilization to and yeah yeah like being being closer to amenities and things and I had dengue fever and was like not you know feeling so good and ready yeah. to go somewhere to recover for a bit so um we moved to New Zealand thinking we'd just travel around for a bit on like mm-hmm. a working holiday and that was over 10 years ago <laughs> 10 years and two kids ago <laughs> <laughs> so you you moved to New Zealand with your yep. not husband at the time right yeah yeah okay who you semi-stalked <laughs> I, mean, I didn't stalk him. I mean, we already lived together. Then, you know, you were just living together in different rooms for a while. But yeah. Yeah, I get—I mean, similar to how like college roommates are. You live with them for a couple months, but like at least my college roommates, I didn't know ahead of time. I just lived yeah. with them yeah. for a few months. <laughs> it was good though, because like you know, when you live with people, you kind of you get you to know, know them. If you're gonna be a good couple or not, pretty yeah. quickly because. You know, when you're dating people and you don't live with them, you don't really know. And then you move in together and you're like, oh, this isn't going to work. Yeah. You know? <laughs> this isn't <laughs> what I thought it was going to be. So we kind of we kind of had like the relationship, the living together before we had the romantic relationship. You and know? you were living so in bunk like beds, like very close quarters yeah. at that time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. if you can't stand each other, then you're in trouble. Yeah. It was it was this game of chicken for ages to like see who was going to admit they liked the other one first. And we both we both were pretty confident that the other person liked the other I one. I did. <laughs> I did that with my husband to like get him to tell me that he loved me. I'd be like, is there something yeah. that you want to tell me that you haven't told me before? Like all day long, I would do this for like weeks. And finally, I'm like falling asleep on the couch and he finally says it. And I'm like, really? You wait till now to say that? <laughs> I almost said it so many times I you know just like leaving the room or being like okay bye and I, I was like so close to just being like love you and then I'm like Shit, no you can't. <laughs> you can't say that I didn't mean it uh, I, I didn't made mean him it. say it first yeah same I had like a roadblock in my head like the guy ha- why I don't know like the guy has to say it first the girl can't say it first like that's in my head that's what I thought but it was a power move whatever yeah. <laughs> but I was trying to like d- like drag it out of him because <laughs> so, we went um we had been dating for like two months I think and my sister got married and so he came with me I was a bridesmaid he came with me to my sister's wedding and like afterwards my mom was like have you guys told each other you loved each other and I'm like no mom we've been dating for two months like no we haven't <laughs> done that <laughs> It wasn't too much longer. We were, uh, let's see, we were engaged by six months and married at like 13 months. So like it was very oh quick. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. We, I mean, we didn't get engaged, like we didn't get engaged until after I had my first kid. Yeah. So because we weren't even thinking we'd really get married. Like it wasn't really something we'd even thought about. We would been like living together and traveling the world together for ages. And we were planning on starting a family. And um, and then we we're like, we're gonna go away on holiday to like Rarotonga, this island in the Cook Islands. And my family's like, oh, well, we'll come. And then his family's like, we'll come. And 
So we're like, well, we might as well get married. <laughs> Everyone's already here. <laughs> yeah, this is perfect. We'll just make this a whole wedding thing. And it was super cruisy and easy. And yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> so what has, back to the books. <laughs> yeah. So what has, so your publisher kind of took over these two books that you'd already published. Did they send them yeah. back through another editor or like, did they have you change anything or like? kind of what happened hugely the first two books because they wanted to like bring them back out pretty quickly just Mm -hmm. went through like another round of like uh proof editing so you know like commas and you know like typos that sort of level of editing like the kind of finishing touches sort of stuff and they want their people to go through it I'm sure yeah and so they they went through and like the high mountain court only had a few small changes and the witch's blade had I think a few more and uh yeah but it was it was great because it was like you know you never catch every typo when you publish something you know uh so it was awesome to have them catch like a few more things yeah and um and then the road crown because the road crown hadn't come out yet we didn't do like a big edit on it all of the story is the same but we did have a little more time to do more of a copy edit and like go through and be like does this make sense like Mm -hmm. did you explain this per who this person was (laughs) you know like all of that sort of stuff but because it had already gone through all of my rounds of editing Mm -hmm. um you know because it was about to come out it was pretty, it was pretty solid already. So it didn't really need that much. Whereas okay. the Evergreen Air, which is the fourth book in the series, which I'm just finishing my revisions through now, which will be sent to them soon, will go through the whole editing process with them. Mm-hmm. So it'll um it'll be the first book with them that we get to go from like the very like, you know, beginning first m- version of the manuscript to publication together. So I'm excited for that. And so what are you, so you're in the middle of this move and you're still writing (laughs) books. You've got two books you're working on right now, right? Book four and then book one in the other series. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you juggling doing that (laughs) and moving at the same, moving Uh, countries? Lots of caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. And then I'm also like, so I, the Five Crowns series, I'm still self-publishing the novellas and shorter Mm -hmm. fiction attached to it too. So I'm also doing that. And I also have my Patreon short stories that come out every month too. So I'm, I'm doing lots of things. (laughs) I have lots of different, you know, cause I, I, it was awesome that um, Harper Voyager was so like supportive of me still doing my indie stuff too. So I Mm -hmm. have like my traditional things. I have my indie things where it's kind of more my playground. I get to play in and then I have the support of this like awesome publisher for these bigger books. And so um, I'm, yeah, kind of like a little bit of a chicken with my head cut off running around (laughs) in all the different directions. But what's good is, so I finished uh, River of Golden Bones. That that first book is done. Uh, And so I'm going to finish writing book four and five of the Five Crowns series Uh and then then pivot to write book two and three of the new trilogy after that, Uh um, which is good because then I can stay in one world and finish that series and then pivot to the other world because it was really hard writing River of Golden Bones in the middle of this other series because it's in a different point of view and it's a different world and there's different language and so Uh uh, it it was like kind of jumbling my brain to do that so I'm excited (laughs) I can do one series and then the other series so that'll be good but I've been really relying a lot on my husband to help with all of like the moving things like Uh and um 
uh, kind of organizing stuff and we hired a like decluttering service people who are going to help us get rid of all of the things we're not bringing with us. Okay, so you're uh, telling you know, them basically do. what to get yeah, rid of. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I was like, man, I wouldn't trust like someone else to decide. Cleaning. Yeah, where we're like, you know, we've already gone through ourselves of all the boxes and things we don't want, and they're mm-hmm. going to find the right, like, homes for them, like the right charities that'll take them and stuff. Um, okay. So that's good because we don't have anyone, like, any child care for our kids. And then... um and then they're going to like uh, take over with the realtor to like f- fix up a few things around the house and stage the house to sell once we're gone. Okay. Um, so that'll be good because I don't think we would have been able to like cope with open homes and stuff in our yeah. house. Yeah. Trying to write wa- and have with kids. My kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because they have their routines and that would have been really disruptive for them. So, uh, it's a lot of like uh, just trying to puzzle our days together to fit all the things in because we're both working full time and we're trying to plan this international move. So it is, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot right now. <laughs> we're yeah, a little yeah. bit loopy, but we're also just so excited. Also, we're moving to Queensland where it's like sunny and warm and uh, hot weather and it's winter here you know in New Zealand and it's just depressing and rainy and cold so it's a very good motivator to you know keep, I, I didn't even pushing. realize last week you also had a sweatshirt on I didn't even think about like you're in a different hemisphere yeah, yeah right now because like right now yeah like my house <laughs> is hot all the time because it's Texas and it's summer in Texas <laughs> like I didn't yeah. even like piece that together last week I have all the FOMO of seeing all like most of the people I interact with are in the U.S. and you know on TikTok and things and I'm so jealous of all the sunny summer you know TikToks. Right. (laughs) A.K. Mulford liked many fairy tales when she was a kid but Little Red Riding Hood was one of her favorites. Little Red Riding Hood is a European fairy tale about a young girl and a sly wolf Its origins can be traced back to several pre-17th century European folktales. The two best-known versions were written by Charles Perrault and the Brothers Grimm. The story's been changed considerably in various retellings and subjected to numerous modern adaptations and readings. Other names for the story are Little Red Cap or simply Red Riding Hood. It is number 333 in the Arne Thompson classification system for folktales. Today we'll be reading Little Red Cap by the Brothers Grimm. Don't forget, we're reading Le Morte d'Arthur, the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the round table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Little Red Cap or Little Red Riding Hood Once upon a time, there was a dear little girl who was loved by everyone who looked at her, but most of all by her grandmother and there was nothing that she would not have given to the child. Once she gave her a little cap of red velvet, which suited her so well that she would never wear anything else, so she was always called Little Red Cap. One day her mother said to her, "'Come, Little Red Cap, here's a piece of cake and a bottle of wine. Take them to your grandmother. She is ill and weak, and they will do her good.' Set out before it gets hot, and when you are going, walk nicely and quietly and do not run off the path, or you may fall and break the bottle, and then your grandmother will get nothing, 
And when you go into her room, don't forget to say good morning, and don't peep into every corner before you do it. I will take great care, said Little Red Cap to her mother and gave her hand on it. The grandmother lived out in the wood, half a league from the village, and just as Little Red Cap entered the wood, a wolf met her. Red Cap did not know what a wicked creature he was and was not at all afraid of him. Good day, Little Red Cap, said he. Thank you kindly, Wolf. Whither away so early, Little Red Cap? To my grandmother's. What have you got in your apron? Cake and wine. Yesterday was baking day, so poor sick grandmother is to have something good to make her stronger. Where does your grandmother live, Little Red Cap? A good quarter of a league further on in the wood. Her house stands under the three large oak trees. The nut trees are just below. You surely must know it, replied Little Red Cap. The wolf thought to himself, What a tender young creature. What a nice plump mouthful. She'll be better to eat than the old woman. I must act craftily so as to catch both. So he walked for a short time by the side of Little Red Cap. And then he said, See, little red cap, how pretty the flowers are about here. Why do you not look round? I believe, too, that you do not hear how sweetly the little birds are singing. You walk gravely along as if you were going to school, while everything else out here in the wood is merry. Little red cap raised her eyes, and when she saw the sunbeams dancing here and there through the trees, and pretty flowers growing everywhere, she thought... Suppose I take grandmother a fresh nosegay. That would please her, too. It is so early in the day that I shall still get there in good time. And so she ran from the path into the wood to look for flowers. And whenever she had picked one, she fancied that she saw a still prettier one further on, and ran after it, and so got deeper and deeper into the wood. Meanwhile, the wolf ran straight to the grandmother's house and knocked at the door. Who's there? Little Red Cap, replied the wolf. She is bringing cake and wine. Open the door. Lift the latch, called out the grandmother. I'm too weak and cannot get up. The wolf lifted the latch. The door sprang open, and without saying a word, he went straight to the grandmother's bed and devoured her. Then he put on her clothes, dressed himself in her cap, laid himself in bed, and drew the curtains. Little Red Cap, however, had been running about picking flowers, and when she had gathered so many that she could carry no more, she remembered her grandmother and set out on the way to her. She was surprised to find the cottage door standing open, and when she went into the room, she had such a strange feeling that she said to herself, "'Oh, dear, how uneasy I feel today, and at other times I like being with grandmother so much.' She called out, Good morning, but received no answer. So she went to the bed and drew back the curtains. There lay her grandmother with her cap pulled far over her face and looking very strange. Oh, grandmother, she said, what big ears you have. The better to hear you with, my child, was the reply. But grandmother, what big eyes you have, she said. The better to see you with, my dear. But, Grandmother, what large hands you have. The better to hug you with. Oh, but, Grandmother, what a terrible big mouth you have. The better to eat you with. 
And scarcely had the wolf said this, than with one bound he was out of bed and swallowed up Red Cap. When the wolf had appeased his appetite, he laid down again in the bed, fell asleep, and began to snore very loud. The huntsman was just passing the house and thought to himself, Oh, the old woman is snoring. I must just see if she wants anything. So he went into the room, and when he came to the bed, he saw that the wolf was lying in it. Do I find you here, you old sinner? said he. I have long sought you. Then just as he was going to fire at him, it occurred to him that the wolf might have devoured the grandmother, and that she might still be saved. So he did not fire but took a pair of scissors and began to cut open the stomach of the sleeping wolf. When he had made two snips, he saw the little red cap shining. And then he made two snips more, and the little girl sprang out, crying, Ah, how frightened I've been! How dark it was inside the wolf! And after that, the aged grandmother came out alive also, but scarcely able to breathe. Red Cap, however, quickly fetched great stones with which they filled the wolf's belly, and when he awoke, he wanted to run away, but the stones were so heavy that he collapsed at once and fell dead. Then all three were delighted. The huntsman drew off the wolf's skin and went home with it. The grandmother ate the cake and drank the wine which Red Cap had brought and revived, but Red Cap thought to herself, "'As long as I live,' I will never by myself leave the path to run into the wood when my mother has forbidden me to do so. It also related that once when Red Cap was again taking cakes to the old grandmother, another wolf spoke to her and tried to entice her from the path. Red Cap, however, was on her guard and went straight forward on her way and told her grandmother that she had met the wolf and that he had said good morning to her, but with such a wicked look in his eyes, that if they had not been on the public road, she was certain he would have eaten her up. Well, said the grandmother, we will shut the door that he may not come in. Soon afterwards, the wolf knocked and cried, Open the door, grandmother. I am Little Red Cap and am bringing you some cakes. But they did not speak or open the door. So the gray beard stole twice or thrice round the house, and at last jumped on the roof, intending to wait until Redcap went home in the evening, and then to steal after her and devour her in the darkness. But the grandmother saw what was in his thoughts. In front of the house was a great stone trough, so she said to the child, Take the pail, Redcap. I made some sausages yesterday, so carry the water in which I boiled them to the trough. Redcap carried until the great trough was quite full. Then the smell of the sausages reached the wolf, and he sniffed and peeped down, and at last stretched out his neck so far that he could no longer keep his footing, and began to slip, and slipped down from the roof, straight into the great trough, and was drowned. But Redcap went joyously home, and no one ever did anything to harm her again. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for the conclusion of A.K. Mulford's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands and to hear another of her favorite fairy tales.